Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Reading from Hebrews 1 through 6 uh, in uh, chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the, bo- in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Here ends the reading. Let's pray. Lord, give us grace to hear your word and to apply it to our lives. Uh, We pray for our uh, sister church, Grace Community, as uh, Ben and John are there in their first worship today in their new building. We thank you, Lord, for establishing that church and that we have been able, by your grace, to participate in that. We thank you for Kyle and his leadership. We pray that you would pour out your grace upon that church continually. Build him up in Christ. We pray for Weatherford, Lord, that you would pour out your mercy upon that church and that you would build up the body in Christ and that you would uh, cause them to seek your face continually and bless them with fruitfulness, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless us as we turn to your word, that we would hear and, Lord, that we would apply it in our lives, that we would come to grips with with you personally in it, and that you would transform us, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, we pray, leave us not as we are, but according to your promise, transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. And by the way, Leanne Salter is the prayer sponsor for Eliza and and Henry, just I had left that out. I want to also thank Daniel Olson for his uh, faithful work in, in securing prayer sponsors for our new members and uh, our children who are baptized. <clears throat> um, one of the illustrations that one of the girls used in teaching our, at our RYM conference, our high school conference down in Florida, uh, when she was teaching the girls, she was talking about the difference between men and women. And she said that, and I've told some of you this, but uh, that men are, are waffles and women are pancakes. Um, 
And that is that men see things in categories and they isolate different parts of their life. And for a woman, all of life kind of flows together. You know, they feel all at once and they experience it in a more unified, integrated way uh, than a man generally does. So she's going to be out for the a Saturday and she hands him a list of nine things to do. And he looks at this list and he's already confused and he says, well, what order should I do this in? And she says, well, I usually do those five at once and those four after that. What? I mean, he has no reference, you know, for that kind of pancake approach. Uh, he hasn't spoken to her all night, but he wants to be intimate, you know, and she brings that up. And he's like, what? Uh, because he's a he's a waffle and she's a pancake. Um, now, what? Not to use a too trite an illustration, but the Christian life in that regard is definitely a pancake and not a waffle. But we like to isolate it. We like to be all about love and people and doing things. But don't bore me and weigh me down with all that doctrine and teaching uh, because that just separates us. And it's not really the, the true thing. The true thing is love. And others want to say, well, it's all about the teaching. And once you understand a doctrine, you think, I got it. I have it. I learned it. And that's the end of it. Don't don't waste your life, you know, on this liberal, secular doing things for people. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the truth. It's all about doctrine. Well, those are waffle approaches, obviously. And the pancake is that you fall in love through the gospel with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he transforms your life and begins to heal you and make you whole and you constantly experience his forgiveness and his patience, his bearing with you and you taste his glory, then the edges begin to come off your personality and you begin to give yourself away in ways that you never did before. You begin to sacrifice and you begin to show patience where you didn't before. And you begin to show kindness and you begin to forgive where you couldn't before. And you begin to spend your life in ways that you never would have thought before. And entertainment's not so important as it used to be. And now your entertainment, your pleasure becomes more and more giving yourself away to people. And you begin to be transformed. Because that's the pancake Christian life. And the fact is, in the Christian life, you either worship God and love people, or you do neither one. Neither one. If you're all about, well, you know, I don't really know that much about God. I don't want to hear about all this stuff. I'm just, I'm just a doer, you know, and I don't want. Then you're doing nothing. You see, as we talked about this in our Sunday school class, it's a cup of cold water. Jesus said, "In my name." The name of the Lord of heaven and earth, the name of the one who died in the place of sinners on the cross, the name of the one who changes his people through his Holy Spirit that he gives. Not in the name of some idea that somebody has about Jesus and that doesn't really matter. It's all about the cup of water. Um, So what we have in this passage, as we talked about beginning two weeks ago, is that if you're just... Looking at verses one through six, it it seems all in the horizontal, but it's in the whole context of the vertical, because in verse 28 of chapter 12, he says, let us offer to God acceptable worship. And then 
on the heels of that, he begins to talk about love. And then, uh, as we saw, the, the end part of this uh, section is in verse 21, again, when he uses this phrase about being pleasing to God. And, and that's a, a way of putting the capstone or putting the last part of the parenthesis there. And in the middle, uh, he says in verse 15 and 16, that doing good and sharing, which he talks about in verses one through six, he says, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So as we are giving ourselves away to one another, we need to always be thinking of this is my the way I give myself up to you, O Lord, in worship. And as we give him ourselves to him in worship now, it's not just that we give him the praise of our lips and our hearts of adoration. But if, if as Romans 12, one says, we make ourselves living sacrifices, that this is our reasonable worship. This is spiritual worship. The heart of it all is I give myself up to your will, O Lord. That's worship. So uh, this is a wonderful section to Create pancake Christians, okay, so that your life is one of all day long seeking to give yourself up to uh, the will of God in all that you do. So he begins, as we've seen, with brotherly love. This is and, and each of these sections is rooted in what Christ has done for us, as we've seen. Christ is not ashamed to be our brother, he says in Hebrews chapter two. And so he's created a brotherhood by his own shameless love of us who were not worthy to be his brothers. And so tasting that brotherly love, being brought in by that brotherly love, uh, we are to offer that to one another. And this kind of uh, love, this kind of mention of brotherly love was thought to be ludicrous to the pagans. Uh, that was only that kind of language is only used with blood family. <clears throat> and that's where, you know, originally we uh, get the counter phrase blood is thicker than water. That is water of baptism. But in the early church, no water is thicker than blood. It's the confession of Jesus Christ that draws us together and creates us uh, a family. And outside of that, it was not known this kind of commitment and regard for one another as uh, as brothers and sisters. And then that affects your wealth. Because it's within families that wealth is shared. It's just understood that family is going to help one another. Family is going to give to one another. And if somebody needs it, we're going to do that. She's my brother. He's my sister. He's my son. They're my parents. And so that whole attitude that was known you know, in general, in the Roman Empire now is known because they commit themselves as a family in that regard. <clears throat> so for us, when we say support the church and its work in worship, we're that's a family statement. That's a brother, sister thing, a mother, daughter thing that we really begin to change our view of one another and call each other what God calls us. And if you're like me. Those are words, you know, but to feel that, to believe that, to live that, to say, you really are my brother. It's not make believe. It's not just a little thing we say to make us feel good. This is real. This is what God. Jesus is not ashamed to call us, but it has eternal implications that we're his brothers because we're going to share in his inheritance, which we don't deserve. 
That's real stuff. That's not a make-believe inheritance. That's the ultimate inheritance that we receive only because Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. And God is our Father through Jesus Christ. So, Schlater says this, in Christianity, the confession of Christ outweighs all other considerations in the determination of brothers and sisters. This was something new in the world, that we became brothers and sisters together and became one family. And, of course, it's out of that that brother-sister sense that he then moves to some practical applications of Showing hospitality. And there, in, in that social context, Christians, because of persecution or travel, these were believers from other congregations that you may have never met before. Maybe you had a letter that they're coming through, or, or maybe they weren't able to give you that because of persecution. And this is radical hospitality, as we've talked about. It's not simply having people over, although that's included in it. But we kind of argue from the ultimate to everything else to, to realize the extent of which of what he's talking about here. Uh, the actual word uh, for hospitality here uh, is is a stronger word than normal. It's the love of hospitality, like a, a, a delight in this relationship of getting to refresh someone in all that you have. And then as he indicates this uh that some have entertained angels. This probably, as we said, refers to Abram entertaining angels and, and how the angel visitation declared to them that they were going to have a child. And they're showing hospitality, but look what came their way as a result of that hospitality. And Lot shows hospitality to the angels as they come into Sodom. And look what happens. They actually deliver him from death. They actually grab them by the hand and pull them out of that city when they were reluctant to leave. They saved their lives. And that's behind this idea that you give yourself away and you, you cannot imagine what God will bring into your life and how he will enrich you. Uh, that's, that's the principle that he's laying before us that uh, some have entertained angels unaware. Now, he could have just said, just show hospitality. You've got to bear in mind, this is the writer by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he throws out that thing about angels. I just think that's cool, you know. I'm sure God's impressed that I think that's cool. <laughs> um, but that, that, it, it, it lets you know that um, the, the, the mystery, the wonder, the expectation, the fascination with what can happen and, and one writer talks about the sacramental quality of hospitality, that in, in that sense that it's a means of grace as God shows himself to us as we give ourselves away to one another. And that's why I, I think as we talk about means of grace, historically, we've talked about the word and, and the sacraments uh, as being means of grace and, and prayer. And, and I really believe that we should attach to that fellowship. And I know fellowship is based on prayer and it's based on the word. But uh, I, I think so much in Scripture talks about how grace comes to us and we impart so much grace to one another by his uh, life in us that we should always include that. And certainly this is part of that, a sacramental quality uh, to even our hospitality. So we welcome strangers in 
the uh, expectation that they will be bearers of God's abundance, <clears throat> as Lane says. And I just want to underscore at that point this principle that in all the sharing of our lives, we do so expecting that he will impart himself to us in that by giving ourselves away, we really do believe what Paul says he quotes Jesus saying is more blessed to give than to receive. We don't really believe that, you see. We just don't. And again, you have to ask the question, why does God always, as Lewis calls it, gives us the unblushing promises? You would think that God wouldn't put that out there because then your motives are going to be all messed up. Well, I'm going to give in order to receive. So why would God do that? So that you'll give in order to receive. Because there's something humbling about that. It takes away Mr. Self-Righteous and I'm doing so much for God and all that. No, dude, all you're really doing is trying to get more from of his grace because you're so needy. You see, love and mercy and hospitality and sacrificing for prisoners is our medicine for healing and becoming whole and having more and more of Christ manifested to us. That's a humbling thing. Humbling thing to say, I'm just a beggar looking for more of Jesus. And so I submit myself to the prescriptions of my Lord who tells me to walk in love. That's quite an opposite thing of, man, I'm just scoring points all over the place. You know, I've done this and this and this and this. And he's given me some things and now I'm doing stuff for him. And Piper's one who talks about this, John Piper, that, no, we always give in order that we might have more of him. Because we're always helpless, we're always needy, we're always wanting more of Christ. And so that keeps us from pride and self-righteousness. It's a part of our helpless dependence upon God's grace and goodness and following his prescriptions for healing and wholeness. Hungry for grace, hungry for his goodness, we submit ourselves to his will. Then... Thinking about the hospitality of a stranger, really, when he talks about prisoners, it's just a similar kind of hospitality. Uh, It's almost an extension of the table into the prison, Uh, an extension of the bonds that you have to try to enter, to bring those to bear of someone who would otherwise be isolated so that they will not be isolated, so that they can know through our love and our care that they continue to be a part of us. And in this, in this touching uh, statement where he says, though in, uh, as though in prison with them, and those mistreated since you also are in the body, we... We haven't talked about this yet, but in in Hebrews chapter two, it talks about Christ taking upon himself flesh and sharing in flesh and blood, partaking the same things that he might destroy the power of death. And then in that line, the writer says he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest To make propitiation because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to come 
uh, to help those who've been tempted. So you see, as in brotherly love, it's founded upon Christ's brotherly love to us. In showing hospitality, it's because we've been made guests in his house. And the Lord Jesus has opened his home to us. In the same way for uh, prisoners, this sympathy with them is because of Christ's sympathy with us. The ultimate sympathy and identification with his people taking on flesh and suffering in our place. You see, that comes behind any command to have sympathy for one another. And for us to balk at that, when our whole salvation and our eternal destiny depends on Christ's identification with us. It's unthinkable. Yet we do it. We isolate ourselves and we somehow think, well, I don't have to. I don't have to. I'm just going to have my life. Instead of seeing myself a vital part of this family for which I sacrifice and identify with their pain and their suffering. Because that's what Jesus did for me. And I hope you are encouraged by the fact that all of our Love is rooted and founded upon Christ's love for us. And then to think that his spirit dwells in us and he's made us new people in Christ so that there's real hope that we can have this radical love. It, it, it makes us weak sometimes. It makes us just think, have I, have I even gotten the first base as a Christian? Am I a Christian? I mean, that, that happens when you think of these things. But then in helplessness you say, oh Lord Jesus... Forgive me. Thank you that you died for my selfish, isolated life that I want to have. And I want to bury myself in my own things and not think about all that people are going through and let that enter my life and, and, and their cares uh, be part of my daily prayers and burden. Lord, make me that kind of person. Oh, Lord, save me. See, again and again, we've got to be the blind men on the side of the road and Jesus is passing by and they just cry out in their blindness, Son of David, have mercy upon us. You know, that's us. You know, when you come against the brick wall of your lack of love, you just say, Son of David, I'm blind. I'm the paralytic that has to be brought and put down in front of you. I can't even walk in my love. Raise me up. Give me your life. And as we've pointed out, this identification with those in prison is a way that you fulfill your public confession of faith. It suggests that the full participation in the confessing community, that I will stand and confess that I am a believer means for these people that I will stand with those who are in prison and endanger myself and endanger my property, endanger my life in order to identify with Jesus Christ and confess Him before men. That's what it meant for them. Now, granted, we're not in that kind of social situation, but we've got to at least realize the radical thing being done and said here. And that to turn away from that and live a comfortable, safe life meant to this writer apostasy against Christ. If you were to choose that way of life, 
It would be apostasy. As William Lane writes, by responding in love, providing shelter to persecuted brothers and sisters, visiting them in prison and caring for them when they are ill-treated, through these acts, they acknowledge themselves to be Christians. They acknowledge themselves to be Christians. Their actions complement and validate their public confessions of Christian faith. In the absence of demonstrations of love to other confessors of Christ, public confession is an empty gesture. Confession in the form of action is indispensable for exhibiting the quality of life in the confessing community. It's part of being a confessing community in this world that we hang together, that we are brothers and sisters. And we sacrifice and we lose for one another. And you see, for the world, when Jesus says they'll, <laughs> that I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, and by that love, not just your made-up idea of love, your comfortable view of love, but by this love, sacrificing for one another, losing for one another as I have loved you, by this people will know that you're my disciple. That's the kind of love that makes them believe and catch themselves and begin to wonder what in the world is going on. Lucian, a pagan, writing in his work, The Death of Peregrinus, and and he was mocking Christians really in this, but he says, they left no, uh, Proteus Peregrinus was imprisoned. And this was his own description, a pagan's description of what they did. They left no stone unturned in their endeavor to procure his release. When this proved impossible, they looked after his wants in all other matters with untiring solicitude and devotion. From earliest dawn, widows and orphaned children might be seen waiting about the prison doors. Not for handouts, but to give themselves in love and care. Now, what's so touching about this is these are widows and orphans that have been taken in by the church. And now they're giving themselves away in love to others in prison. Is that beautiful or what? The officers of the church, by bribing the jailers, were able to spend the night inside with them. Bribe somebody so that you can spend the, the night in jail. Meals were brought in and they went through their sacred formulas, which he calls them. Ignatius says, how contrary to the minds of God are those who come with strange teaching concerning the grace of Jesus Christ. Such persons, quote, have no concern for love, none for the widow, none for the orphan, None for the mistreated, none for the prisoner, nor for the one who's been released from prison, none for the hungry or thirsty. He says, that's a strange teaching concerning the grace of Jesus Christ, that there would be no concern for those who suffer. 
Well, in the last section, he moves to marriage and money. And it's all within this idea of brotherly love, of respecting one another and respecting the marriage bed, showing purity. And, and the language he use, uses here is taken from the language of worship. And as we talked about last week, God's covenant love for us is expressed in the marriage relationship. And it's expressed most intimately in the marriage bed, which is a euphemism for the sexual relationship. But this is the, the, a, a vital and poignant picture of God's committed love forever that he will never turn away from us to do us good. And so for that act to mean anything but that for, with another person. And that would include anything outside of marriage. It would include any form of pornography. It would include anything that's not a part of a devotion to one person for the whole of your life to do them good, even as God has devoted himself in covenant to do us good. And he will never turn away from us. You see, when you read the end of Romans 8, nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ. No matter what it is, nothing will separate us from the love. You need to think, ah, marriage relationship, marriage bed. Nothing will separate me from loving you forever. And I will love no other but you forever. And no matter what happens, no matter if you gain weight, no matter if you have some surgeries that deform your body, no matter what happens, I will give myself to you for the rest of my life. And it's regarded as a desecration, the same language as desecrating an altar or desecrating a holy place. Because it desecrates what God has made holy because it represents his intimate love with his, his people. And then connected with that is covetousness. Listen to what Philo, the Jewish writer, writes. I'm just quoting, okay? All the worst quarrels, both public and private, are due to greed for either a well-formed woman or a possession. <laughs> That's the way he saw all of arguments. <clears throat> and often in Jewish writers, the marriage and, and covetousness were brought together because of the seventh commandment, which is you shall not commit adultery, and the eighth commandment. Uh, you shall not steal, which would include, of course, the idea of covetousness, which you go to uh, the Tenth Commandment, and it's kind of a blanket over all of them that you shall not covet your neighbor, anything that your neighbor has. And in both cases, Jewish writers were very careful to show that promiscuity and covetousness lead to and really are a part of idolatry, two pathways to idolatry, because this thing, whether it's money and all that money can bring or it's a sexual pleasure and all that it can afford outside of the will of God, against the will of God, it's an effort then to make for yourself a God and to bow down before it and say, please give me life. I will attach myself to you. I will give my heart to you. I will think about you all the time. I will hope for more of you. I will desire you all in, in many different ways. That's to say, you will be my God. And I will look to you for life. I will entrust myself to you. 
Other passions, of course, replacing a passion for God himself. And so, again, it's a desecration of our holy relationship with him. Other passages like Ephesians, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. Paul writing in Ephesians 5, bringing those two things together. Should not be named among you. And he later talks about covetousness, which is idolatry. And in Colossians, he has the same joining of these things. And so in this context, it's to preserve that holiness and that offering up ourselves to God and his will. And again, we are able to offer ourselves up to him because Christ offered himself up to the father. Even there, we're not left, you know, hey, give yourself up to God on your own. Make the decision. Do it. No, it's because Christ being joined to him, he has offered himself up completely to the father. And he joins his people up and gives us a life whereby we offer ourselves up to the father. And of course, this is a part of our trust in his goodness. A trust that if I go against desires and fears that I have, as he speaks about the fears of of not having money. Uh, But as we give ourselves to uh, oppose these desires and give ourselves to his will, we're trusting in his goodness. We're saying, I will not hold on to this idol that it will give me life, but I trust God that he will give me life and he will satisfy me. And in obedience to him. I will know the richness that life is meant to be for me under his his will. But then notice the thing that's at the forefront, as he says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. And that's based on what? It's based on the Lord's commitment that he will be present with us and he will never forsake us. He is our helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. And it blends into not just money, but then this fear of man, doesn't it? It's almost odd. I remember the first times I read Hebrews 13, I thought, well, verse 5 seems to be about money. But then verse, the end of verse 5 and verse 6 talking about fear and man doing something to me. Why would he bring that in when he's just talking about money? Well, as several commentators have pointed out that Probably these Christians were trying to amass wealth for themselves to protect themselves from persecution through their money. And so they were willing to sacrifice that for their brothers and sisters. But it's like, hey, the ship's going down and you may go down with it, but I ain't going down. So they're creating for themselves supposedly an island of security through their money. But really, that was just the fear of of man. And so contentment becomes part of what we offered up to him in worship to be content with him, with what we have and to trust him is to worship him, is to honor him. that He's a God worthy of our trust, a God who is devoted to our good, not to have contentment, to spend ourselves on other things and other idols is to say, Lord God, you do not have my best interests at heart. If you do not care for me, I cannot trust you with my life. And so this condition of contentment is only had because of the presence of God that is with us. 
So we just touched on this briefly, but uh, I want to ask you, see, their situation was they were threatened with their very lives and the very means of holding on to money and collecting more money and not giving it away would mean perhaps the difference in losing all that they had or maybe their lives. But that's not even our concern. Our concern is doing with a few less things in order that we would identify with God's people and give to the church. You see, giving is a part of saying, you're my brothers and sisters. And I want to share what I have with you and the needy among us and the needy Christians in other places and trying to get other churches planted in the world so that they can gather in more and more of God's people. And there are many people in our congregation who give a sizable portion. There are many people in our congregation members who really don't ever give anything. And so I want to challenge you with verses 5 and 6. Are you keeping your life free from the love of money? Are you fearing what will happen in your life? Are you fearing God in that bad sense of saying, I just can't trust you in this regard. I'm just going to have to hold on to what I got. And I'm just not going to be a brother and sister to my brothers and sisters. Well, again, the Lord Jesus is the one who sets us free. The Lord Jesus is the one. Because, hey, every one of us, myself included, will live just that way because we're all out by nature for ourselves. But as Paul said, he died that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised for us. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that the result of your work on the cross, the result of you calling us to yourself and giving us your Holy Spirit, imparting your life to us is that we more and more no longer live for ourselves but for this glorious Lord and King and Savior. And Lord, if that is the case, then living for you, we begin to walk after you. We begin to follow you. We begin to take on your life and your characteristics, and we begin to give our lives away as you've given yourself away to us. Lord, we cry out to you with the blind men, with the paralytic, with the leper, with the woman who had the issue of blood. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. See us in all the many ways we implode and hold on in our self-protection, in our fear, in our pride. And, O Lord, save us that we will taste Your love and walk in Your love and show Your love even as You've shown it to us. Bless us that we will be those kind of living sacrifices offering up daily a sacrifice that is acceptable to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The pleasing scene was clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. 
Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Shall my soul with rapture trace